Appreciate your presence this afternoon as we study together concerning the Word of God, and I hope you've got your Bible with you because we're going to be engaged in a Bible study. I appreciate so much the invitation the elders have extended to me to come and to be a part of this series of studies, and I appreciate especially that they've asked me to deal with the subject matter that has been announced as we talk about saving the erring, saving the church, saving our families and ourselves, a study of church discipline. And I appreciate them and you being cooperative with me in my schedule. I have uh, they asked me if I could start the meeting this morning, but I've canceled all my meetings for the year, even some in the area. And so when those brethren find out I came here and didn't go there, I'm in trouble. So uh, be that as it may, I thought the subject matter warranted me coming and being with you. So we start this afternoon instead of this morning. I appreciate you working with me on that. And then uh, we'll be here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. This study is based upon a work study that I did and published by the same title, Saving the Erring, the Church, the Family, and Ourselves. I'm here to sell books or to tell you about that, tell you how important I think the book is. I don't even have a copy of it myself. I look for a copy in my library and I don't even have one. So it's not important that you have one, but based upon that, the elders have seen that material or have been exposed to that and asked if I would come and deal with some of that material. And that's a what we'll do, deal with some. We don't have time in four lessons to deal with all of that. So here are the four lessons we have planned. This afternoon we're going to talk about this is a forgotten and a misunderstood command. And then tomorrow evening we'll talk about the purpose of withdrawing and we'll talk about from whom we should withdraw. And then on the third lesson we'll talk about the case at Corinth. Wished we had time to deal with another study even and deal with the case at Thessalonica, but I'm interested in that case at Corinth. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 5, and then we'll look at 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 7. And then they'll close on Wednesday evening by talking about how do we treat those who've been disfellowshipped, and does it apply to family? What if my family member is withdrawn from? Do I have any obligation with reference to that? And that's kind of a sticky subject with some, but we're going to address that because we think the Bible does. So we're going to talk about the forgotten and misunderstood command. Let's begin with this concept. And that is, it is a command of God that we withdraw from those who persist in sin. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul uses the word command, that I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you withdraw yourselves from every brother who walks disorderly. And so specifically he said, this is a command, you do this. And so all I'm trying to establish is, it is a command to withdraw from those who persist in sin. 1 Corinthians 5 does not use the word command, but it is a command. Look at verse 13. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so it is a command that is issued, though it's not called a command in that the word command is not used there. It's still a command. And all I'm trying to get you to see is it is a command that we withdraw from those who persist in sin. And yet it is a command that has been forgotten and greatly misunderstood. When we get through with our study this afternoon and you walk away, I hope you're impressed with the fact that, yes, that is a command, number one, and number two, it is forgotten, and number three, it is something that is greatly misunderstood. But I want to suggest to you that the difficulty is not because the text is not clear, but it is because of human involvement and emotions that cry out for a favorable answer from the Word of God. Much like divorce and remarriage that was mentioned earlier. 
It is not because, the issue is not because it is unclear in the text, it is because we want a different answer than what we read. And that's why it's difficult, because of human involvement and emotions. And we'll see that particularly on our study on Wednesday evening. So two things we're going to talk about tonight. One is, it's a, misun- it's a forgotten command, and number two, it is a misunderstood command. So let's start with the fact that it is a forgotten command. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that and follow along. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. We'll give attention to that in another study more in detail. But all I want to establish is the fact that it seems to have been forgotten at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5 and in verse 1, the sin of fornication was well established. Look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 1 says it is exactly reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, and a man should have his father's wife. You remember Paul had said in chapter 1 that he had learned much of the problem from the house of Chloe, he said. And so it was well established and well reported and well understood there was a case of fornication occurring. It's not that there was maybe some slight evidence, and we're not sure if he's guilty. It was well established. Everyone knew he's guilty of the sin of fornication. That wasn't the issue. But look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us they were not bothered and they didn't seem to be even concerned in order to take proper action. He said at verse 2 that you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. You've not even sad about it. You've not even shed tears that he's in sin and losing his soul. You don't seem to show any concern for him. And Paul said at verse 9 that he had written to them previously That such inaction was wrong, he said. At verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle, not this one, but one before. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. They should have understood. They had already been given the command of God on that. And what I'm trying to establish for you is the fact that they seem to have forgotten the command. They've forgotten what that previous letter had said. And if they had understood it, they'd forgotten it again somehow. And they're not practicing that. That's all I'm trying to get you to see, is they seem to have forgotten the command to withdraw from the one who is in sin. May we make some application then to us that it is forgotten by many churches or in many churches today. Perhaps if you've grown up in a church and you've never visited anywhere else, and in that growing up, that's all you've ever seen is a church that practiced church discipline, and they withdraw from the disorderly, maybe you're not aware of the fact that there are many churches that do not practice it at all. There is different ways in which we can forget a command. For example, in some cases, churches forget by mere neglect. Hebrews chapter 2 mentions neglecting such great salvation. I'm more interested, though, in Nehemiah chapter 8. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Do you remember when Ezra the scribe was reading from the law, that as he read from the law, remember those that half a day of reading uh, that they did over in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and there were others that helped the people to understand and gave them the sense. And I want to pick up at verse 13 that on the second day, the heads of the fathers, as they gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law, they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booze during the feast of the seventh month. You say, what's that all about? That is, they read from the law, and as the reading of the law, they discovered suddenly that this book says you are supposed to dwell in booze during the Feast of the Tabernacles. As soon as they read that and understood that, you know what they did? They started dwelling in booze. That tells me they had forgotten that. Why were they not doing it? They just seemed to have neglected that subject. 
Maybe the reading of that passage. And certainly the practice of that. But in some cases, the forgetting of a command is a willful ignoring. And I cite Romans 10. I know Romans 10 is not dealing with church discipline. I've got that, but get the point. Here's the general principle. Here were the Jews who were ignorant of God's righteousness, verse 3, and went about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You say, well, I know what that's saying. That says they, they weren't taught. No, it's not saying they weren't taught. They ignored God's plan and went about to establish their own plan. Now look at verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does that fit in the context? What it's simply saying is they would have had faith if they had listened to that. The point is they didn't listen to God. They ignored God's plan and went about making up their own. And quite often we do that even in the matters of church discipline. I want to suggest to you that there are some churches that forget to teach on the subject. In other words, we begin to plan out, preachers plan out and elders plan out. Here's what we need to teach on and they forget to teach on the subject of church discipline. We don't have any sermons on that. There are those who've grown up and they've never heard a sermon on church discipline. What it means to withdraw. There are those who not only forget to teach on it, there are churches that forget to practice it. Some places it's not practiced at all, and others maybe it's only in an extreme case. By extreme? Maybe there are other cases, for example, of fornicators, but maybe there's this extreme case of that they want to deal with. Let me stop in footnote. You remember, some of you are old enough to remember back in the 80s and the 90s, there was a whole rash of lawsuits among churches of Christ over church discipline. One of the more notable that hit the national news was a case where one of the attorneys that was involved told me that what took place in that circumstance was that there were other fornicators in the congregation, but there was one that was getting notable attention in the community and they withdrew from that one and not the others. They're inconsistent. There are some churches that only practice it when it's an extreme case. There are some that are inconsistent, as we've just mentioned. They withdraw from some, but not another. I want you to ask a church one time. I asked them, I said, how long has it been? Y'all are you're, you're just chuck full of problems. This church is riddled with all kinds of problems. Tell me, when was the last time you practiced church discipline? And they had to, let, let, let us think on that. A little bit. I can't remember. They said it's been 30 years since we practiced church discipline. And they're wondering now why is there problems in this church? Some churches forget to teach on it. Some churches forget to practice it. Let me tell you what happens when we neglect. We create an environment where members, undisciplined children, realize how far they can go without being disciplined. You take a child that's not being disciplined, they understand and they understand where the boundaries are and they know how far they can go before they ever get reined in. And people learn that too. Members learn that. They go to a congregation and they begin to notice, you know what, so-and-so got a divorce and never a question was asked. Someone else misses most of the services and never a question is asked. So they miss and nothing is said. They practice worldliness, no action is taken. Divorce and remarry, no questions asked. So we're thinking of getting a divorce. Let's go over there and place membership because they won't ask any questions. It doesn't take long before people begin to figure that out. So we've created an environment where people realize how far they can go without church discipline. It's neglected in many churches. Not only is withdrawal forgotten, but even preventative teaching sometimes, which is a form of discipline. The word for training or discipline in the scriptures is not only used with reference to the concept of withdrawing, it's used with reference to what we're doing at this very hour. This is discipline we're teaching. What you did this morning, what you did in Bible class, what you'll do on Wednesday evening, that's discipline. 
But in some places, we even neglect the preventative teaching that this is a sin and you should not participate. Forget withdrawing. We're not even teaching on the fact that it's a sin. Maybe worldliness, like immodesty, social drinking and dancing and other things. Some of that is not even being done. And when people participate in sin, quite often the rebuke and correction that should precede withdrawal is missing. Maybe here's someone who's in sin, and we don't even rebuke them. We don't even try to get them to correct their sin. And not even mentioning withdrawal. Not even talking about that. It's not on the radar just yet. In some places, that's missing as well. But that causes us to raise this question, why is it that we have forgotten this command? Either willfully forgot it, or maybe why have we just neglected it so that we just kind of it's off of our radar? Why is that? May I suggest some reasons why? First of all, it's forgotten because it's not taught on. Because we're not teaching on that. Let's go to the book of Judges. You remember in Judges 2 that after the generation of Joshua, Joshua and the elders, after that generation passed, Judges 2 in verse 10 said, when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them that did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel. How sad that was. You see, Joshua had understood and so did the elders understand. But a generation rose after them that did not understand and know the Lord of the works of the Lord. Why is that? Well, let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 gives me some insight to that. Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. And in Psalm 78, we have a clue as to what happened. Here's the next generation that arose and they didn't know the Lord. Why didn't they know the Lord? Well, let's read Psalm 78 beginning at verse 5. The Lord established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And he commanded his fathers that they should make them known to their children. In other words, God gave his revelation and said, you teach this to your children. Why is that? Now look at verse 6. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare that to their children, that they may set their hope on God. Now notice at the end of verse 7, and not forget the works of God. What God said is, I gave them a revelation and they were to teach it to their children, who were to teach it to their children, who were to teach it to the next generation, so that they would not forget God. They did forget God, though. And what that tells me is they failed to teach it to their children. And so why is this a forgotten command? Because we're not teaching on it. And so we raise up a generation, it doesn't take long. You take someone who's 10 years old, who may not know a lot about what sermons are about. Now they're 20 years old and they're married and they've never heard a sermon on church discipline. Now 20 more years, they're 40 years old, and they have children that are grown, and they still haven't heard a sermon on the matter of church discipline. We're not teaching on it in some places. Why is it a forgotten command? Because quite often we've never seen it at work. If we're not teaching on it, we're not practicing it. And some are raised in a church where they, I mentioned a moment ago, a church has gone 30 years. Here's a child that was a baby the last time that they uh, disciplined. One and now 30 years later, they've never, 30 years old, and they've never seen a case of withdrawal. Never witnessed that. They don't know what that's like. They've never seen it at work. Why is it a forgotten command? Because we use human wisdom. Because we think we know a better way. Romans 11.34 raises this question. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's wise enough and smart enough to set in judgment on God and say, God, wait a minute, I've got a better way. And I know what you said, but I think I've got a better idea than that. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I think I can give God some advice. And yet we do that all the time. I know what God said about church discipline. 
but I'm not sure that works. I think I've got a better way. We're going to see that before this series is through. Sometimes we're looking for an easier course because it's not pleasant. Like discipline of children. What parent has ever disciplined their child who said, this is fun, this is the best and easiest course to go? No one recognizes that and says, I think this is fun. I think I want to do more of this. And so we choose the easier course. Quite often we've seen it abused. How could it be abused? I've seen cases where maybe here is family A and family B in a church and they're at odds. Family A has a leader in the church and family B has someone that just got caught in sin and we're ready to zap them and withdraw from them because it's a get even. We're trying to settle a score. No time for repentance. No, please, just we're ready to withdraw. We've been waiting for this. In other occasions, there's been no evidence of the sin. We suspect there's a sin and, and we're ready to withdraw without any evidence. Or maybe because someone is standing for the truth. They're pictured as being a troublemaker. Now we're ready to withdraw from them. So yes, it's been abused. But we're not ready to throw out everything that's been abused. The Lord's Supper's been abused. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 11. Are you ready to throw out the Lord's Supper? Let's just quit taking it because it's been so abused. What about baptism? Is it abused? Let's just quit that. And what about the gospel itself? Hasn't it been abused? Yeah, it's even been abused by our brethren. So let's just throw the gospel out and forget the gospel, forget baptism, forget the Lord's Son. Let's forget everything because it's been abused. No, we don't do that. So why do we forget the church discipline just because it's been abused? Quite often we're afraid of hurting feelings. The one that's in sin, we don't want to hurt their feelings or their family. No, we don't want to offend them. Well, quite often we're afraid of severing relationships. We've had a good relationship and if we have church discipline it's going to cut some people off. It may drive some families away. Not only the person we're dealing with but maybe their family and the extended family. We may lose three or four families in this. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want to lose members. We sometimes are afraid of losing money. They're good contributors and if we lose them we, we're in trouble. And so we don't want to do that. And we're afraid of lawsuits. Perhaps that's improved some over the years, but when the rash of lawsuits in the 80s and 90s were taking place among churches of Christ, there were some brethren who were afraid, I'm afraid if we do that, 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 uh, that we may get sued over that. And I'll tell you, I've been there where I've been threatened to be sued. Personally and the church, if y'all go through with this discipline, you're going to be sued. And you know what you tell the brethren? We're going to do what the Lord said no matter what the cost is. We're going to do what the Lord says no matter the cost. If that means we get sued, we get sued. If we lose everything, we lose everything except our soul. My soul is not for sale, nor should yours be either. Now, let's talk about that this is a misunderstood command. Yes, it's forgotten, but when we do remember it, it's also a misunderstood command. Now, let's talk about some, uh, some aspects of that before we begin listing the misunderstandings. Some brethren misunderstand what it is. But that does simply mean they can't really tell you what church discipline is, what withdrawing involves. Evidence will come forth in a moment. Some misunderstand how it's to be practiced and others misunderstand what it means, the implications of that. What do you do beyond the act of withdrawing? I want to suggest to you that we have a misunderstanding on any subject. That misunderstanding hinders and creates a barrier so that the truth cannot be seen. Let me illustrate how that works. Let's go to John chapter 12 for a moment. 
John chapter 12, Jesus made a statement that just really got the Jews all excited. When he said this, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'm reading it verse 32, and draw all people to myself, and this he said signifying what death he would die. So Jesus said he was going to die. Well, I got them all agitated because in verse 34, they answered and said, we have heard in the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Here's what I want you to see. The Christ remains forever. That was the misunderstanding. That means he will never die. That was the Jews' misunderstanding about the Messiah. Oh, we've got this concept. We've got this idea that the Messiah is going to live forever and he will never die. But you, Jesus, say that you're going to die, so you can't be the Messiah. What I want you to see with that misunderstanding, that created a barrier so that they could not see the truth of who Jesus was. As long as they had that misunderstanding. Here's another illustration. Someone holds to this idea that if baptism is essential, that means we're saved by water. You believe in baptism is essential, and so what you're talking about is water salvation. And as long as one has that misunderstanding, they never will see the truth because that just created a barrier so they can never see that baptism is essential, Mark 16, 16. Here's another illustration. Someone says, you know what? If, if miracles have ceased, if there's no miracles today, God's not working today. God is inactive today. And as long as they have that misunderstanding, that created a barrier so they cannot understand, nor can they comprehend that miracles have ceased, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you can see those, you can see this. When one holds to some of the misunderstandings we're about to list, concerning withdrawing from those who walk disorderly, when they have those misconceptions in their mind, they never will see the truth. They never will see the truth about withdrawing. Never will understand that. And they continue on with their misunderstanding. Because they can't see the truth, it created a barrier. So let's list some of those misunderstandings. Here's one. Quite often when we practice church discipline, someone says, I know what's going on. They've been kicked out of the church. And sometimes it's worded that way. You know, brother so-and-so was kicked out of the church this morning. And that's what we're doing is we're kicking them out of the church. All I want to tell you, no one is being kicked out of the church. In fact, we can't do that. The Lord does the adding, Acts 2.47, and the Lord does the removing. I'm going to leave all of that to the Lord. What we are doing is we're removing the unfaithful from our realm of fellowship. Notice in second, or 1 Corinthians 15, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. There is a separation of some sort so that you're no longer in fellowship with them. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, withdraw yourselves. There is a pulling back of yourself from fellowship with them. Not a kicking out of the church. Ephesians 5.11 said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It is not a kicking out of the church. In fact, it's not an effort to kick out, but it's an effort to bring them back. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 once more. We'll give closer attention to that chapter later in the week. But chapter 5 and verse 5, I'll learn something about the purpose of this. In verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This action is taken in order to save him. We're not kicking him out of the church. We're trying to bring him back to the Lord. We're not a kicking out at all. May I suggest to you that the discipline of children, as an illustration, does not teach them to be unloving 
Nor is it designed to teach them to be unloving. It rather teaches them love and reverence and obedience. We had fathers of the flesh, Hebrews 12 said, that disciplined us and we had reverence for them. You see, that's what discipline does. It creates reverence and respect and obedience. So this discipline also to create service to the Lord, not kicking anyone out of the church, that's a misunderstanding. Here's another misunderstanding. Some have thought that a matter of withdrawing is a prohibition to attend. That they've asked me not to attend. No one has ever been asked not to attend. Now they'll recognize there may be some extreme cases where someone is being disruptive to the services, making physical threats. That the elders would have every right to say, as long as you're doing that, you don't, we don't want you in these services. We would do that. I think these elders probably would too. But I've never witnessed that myself, and you probably haven't either. So no one is ever asked not to attend. In fact, it's just the opposite of that. We encourage them to continue to attend. And if someone that we withdraw from were to ask, can I keep attending? I'll say, yeah, we hope you do. Because by those classes and those sermons that they attend, we're hoping something will be said to bring them back to life. By their association at the assembly, somebody will encourage them to correct their lives and we're hoping that brings them back to the Lord. No prohibition to attend at all. Here's another misunderstanding. And this is quite common. And that is it doesn't do any good. Perhaps you've run into that. If you've not been in a church... And if you have, then stop and say a prayer and thank God you've not ever been in this case. You, if you've ever been in a church without elders and sat in a men's business meeting, what a horror. I'm going to tell you, I've been there. <laughs> when you've been there and you argue with someone over whether or not you ought to have, practice church discipline, and the argument is it doesn't do any good. Doesn't do any good. We don't need to withdraw I know this is an admitted fornicator. I know this is someone who is in sin and they're saying they're going to, but it doesn't do any good. They argue. You see, that's based on the idea that the erring are not brought back by withdrawal. It's based on the false concept that it actually pushes them away. That's a misunderstanding. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 again. I want to tell you, church discipline withdrawing brought the fornicator at Corinth to repentance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the church said you have, or Paul writes to the church saying, you haven't done your job. And then he describes what is involved in this withdrawal. We'll get to the details of that in another study. And then he ends the chapter saying, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. By the time this letter is written, the church has taken action. It has been effective. And I want you to notice beginning at verse 5, or verse 6 rather, the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. In other words, it brought him to repentance. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Over there in chapter 5, he's saying you need to deal with this sin. Over here, he's saying now you need to forgive him. It means he repented. He came to his repentance. I have been asked in the, meet, in the midst of heated controversy. Can you cite one case where it ever brought someone back? And my answer is yes. Corinth. Well, besides that, I don't need another besides that. Corinth. Corinth brought, it brought him to repentance. It works. It works. 
You say it doesn't work? It worked. Brought him back. Stick that in the back of your mind. We're coming to that later. But I want to tell you, I've seen it work in the present day. I could cite examples. I'm not going to name names, but I've witnessed cases where they have been withdrawn from and they came back because they were withdrawn from. And later said, had that not been done, I never would have come back to the Lord. You perhaps have seen that as well. It's like spanking a child. Proverbs 22.15 said, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it far from him. But there are people who, and even Christians, who will say, you know what, spanking doesn't work. And they're right. Spanking doesn't work when you're inconsistent. Spanking doesn't work when it's not administered firmly and timely. I've seen parents who spank a child and then they let them get by and let them get by and let them get by and then they spank the child and then they let them get by and let them get by and then they spank the child and then they say, spanking doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Not when you do it that way. And when we do not apply it properly, that is church discipline properly, it doesn't work. And you're right, it doesn't work. But when we do the Lord's will, it will work. There's another purpose mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5. Go back to that passage for a moment. Not only are we trying to bring him back, but this is an effort to keep the church pure. Remember Paul making the point in 1 Corinthians 5, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, they're to purge out the old leaven that there may be a new lump. Be pure, in other words. And I'm here to tell you that always works. In other words, we withdraw from someone like this fornicator at Corinth. Not only does it, is it an effort to bring him back, but it's an effort to keep the church pure. He may not come back, but it kept the church pure though. That is still accomplished. So it does good. To say the least, we've done the will of the Lord. But here's another misconception. That it cannot be done in love. You cannot administer that in love. I've heard this said many times. Instead of withdrawing, what we need to be doing is showing them that we love them. I cannot tell you the times I've heard that. Particularly in the absence of elders. You have someone saying, you know what, we don't need to take action. We don't need to withdraw. We're not going to do that. We don't need to do that. Because what we need to be doing is showing love and concern and care. That's what we need to be doing. Instead of withdrawing from That assumes that you can't harmonize love and discipline. That's an assumption that they cannot prove. That's kind of like assuming that you can't harmonize salvation by baptism and salvation by the blood. Remember our denominationalist friends, they'll find a passage that says you're saved by the blood of Christ. That means you're not saved by baptism because you can't harmonize those. What an assumption. Oh, that's like this concept, you can't discipline a child because you can't harmonize that with love. Yet Proverbs 3, 13 and verse 24 says, He that loves him chastens him betimes. It is because of love that he disciplines him. Let me get this picture before you very carefully. When we have a misunderstanding concerning love, of child discipline, this illustrates the point. When we have this misconception that love means I can't spank and I won't spank, and there are parents that believe that. Oh, I love my child too much. I can never, I can never spank them. I just wouldn't do that. I can't do that because I need to love my child. And as long as they hold to that concept, they cannot and never will see that the text says that you are to use the rod. The rod will drive it far from him. Do you study on the word rod? idea of a branch a shoot switch in other words take the switch to the child and it'll drive that foolishness far from him the text says that and the same principle applies to church discipline when someone has this idea love 
means that, that we cannot withdraw and we cannot withhold our association from them. We can't do that because we love them too much. They never will see what the New Testament says about church discipline. They never will see that as long as they hold to that misconception. If we love God and we love the lost soul, that means we're going to follow God's plan for bringing them back. The Lord has revealed a plan and said, here's how you bring them back. And I may not like the plan. I may not think it's the best. I may think I had a better idea. But if I love the Lord, I'm going to follow His Word and I'm going to love the soul and I'm going to try to bring them back the way the Lord intended that to be done. Here's another misconception about church discipline. And that is we can't be friendly and kind after we withdraw. And this sometimes comes from people who are trying to do the will of the Lord and they want to do the will of the Lord, but they just misunderstand what this is about. We'll say more about this in our third lesson, I think it is. But here's the idea. Some have the idea that you can't show kindness. So we withdrew from brother so-and-so a week or two ago, and if I were to see him in public, I'm supposed to avoid him. I've even had people tell me, I was at Walmart, I saw them coming down the aisle, and I darted down the other way because I didn't want to have to run into them. I didn't want to have to speak to them. And that's based on a misconception. It's like we can't stop and ask them how they're doing. How's your wife? How's your, how's your husband? How's your children? How are things going with you? Have you thought about your soul? Do you have time for us to sit down and talk about your soul? But we can't talk and be friendly because you're not supposed to be kind and friendly. In other words, this misconception equates friendliness with approving of their life. If I speak and say, how are you doing? I just told them I approve of the way you live. That's absurd. Let's go to the restrictions of the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the text says, put away that evil person from you. You don't have fellowship with them. That's one restriction. Both texts give a restriction that we're not to keep company with them. We're going to say more about that company in our lesson on uh, Corinth. But it literally means to mix up together with. It's socializing. We'll give more details about that later. And so we're not to have company with them. We're to withdraw from them. But here I'm to suggest, you, I, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Neither of those forbid speaking and being kind. I wish someone would show me in 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Thessalonians 3 or any text where being kind to someone and asking how they're doing, being friendly to them, means I'm giving approval to their way of life and violating any one of those texts. Fact. 2 Thessalonians 3 says that he's not an enemy. Do not consider him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. How can I admonish him if I'm not kind to him? How can I admonish him if I avoid him? He's not my enemy. He's a brother that's wayward. I'm trying to get to come back to the Lord. And so, that's a misconception. Here's another misconception. We're giving up on the person. When time comes for us to withdraw, we're giving up on the person, is the idea. We're not giving up, but this is an additional effort to save them. In fact, at Corinth, they were said, you're not doing enough to save him. You need to make greater effort to bring him back. And so they were told to withdraw from him, and they did, and it worked. It's not giving up on him. We're hardly giving up on one that we're continuing to admonish as a brother. As long as I have opportunity, I'm to continue to admonish him as a brother. However, however, there does come a time, the text talks about, let him be to thee as a heathen and as a publican. Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. And deliver him unto Satan. 
Here's one who's determined to continue in sin. If that's the way you want to go, you go that direction. We're not going with you. We're not having fellowship with you at all. But anytime I have an opportunity, I'm going to talk to you about your soul. And hopefully we can bring him back. One more thing and the lesson is yours. I want you to listen to this one very carefully. Because this happens, I'm sure it happens in Athens, as many churches as you have, because it happens in our area. It's happened for years and years and years. And it's this idea that I'm willing to do anything to avoid my family member being disciplined. How does that work? Well, it works like this. When the elders start asking of somebody in the family, it may be a grown child. It may be a child still at home. Maybe a husband or a wife, we're asking. We'd like to talk to them about their lack of attendance. We'd like to talk to them about some things they've been involved in recently. We saw on Facebook. And it won't be two weeks from that point till suddenly the family and maybe extended families decide they need to go to, to another congregation. Does that happen here? You ever see that? I could cite multiple cases where that's happened. Just as soon as the elders start asking questions, and someone is afraid, well, this is going to lead to withdrawal. We don't want that to happen to my child. I don't want that to happen to my wife. I don't want that to happen to my husband. And so to avoid that, let's rush off to another congregation where we know that won't be practiced. <laughs> and the idea is, this is best for my family because shoo, we avoided withdrawal. See, I want to do what's best for my children. And so we avoided withdrawal. I thought the elders were leading to that. So, shoo, man, we avoided that. We've got them in a church where they won't do that. I want to tell you, I want to be in a church. I want to be in a church where if my children are not walking according to the will of God, the church withdraws from my children. That would have been a good place for an amen right there, brother. I want to be in a church where the church will withdraw from my children if they're not walking. I want them to withdraw from my wife. I want them to withdraw from me when I'm not walking according to the will of God. I want to be in a church. I don't want to usher my family off to a place where I know it won't be practiced and we avoided withdrawal. Man, we came close. I thought the elders were going to do something. And what we're doing then is we're avoiding taking the action that may save their soul. That's what we're doing. We're avoiding taking the action that very well may have saved the soul of our children. But I got them in a place where they won't be asking questions. I've got them in a place now where the elders won't do anything. And they certainly won't withdraw from them. And I'm glad we still got our family all intact. Isn't this wonderful? Back to 1 Corinthians 5. What if the family of that fornicator had quickly rushed him off to Ephesus or Philippi? Oh, we got wind. That letter from Paul. He's saying the church isn't doing what they should do. And he's saying this church ought to withdraw from him. Let's pack him up real quick and rush him off to Philippi. Maybe they won't withdraw from him. And boy, wouldn't that be good because he would have never come to his repentance. He would have never come to his repentance. Aren't we doing wonders for our children when we rush them away to some place where they won't be disciplined? Well, that's kind of an introduction to the subject that we're going to be dealing with for the rest of our week on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. This is a forgotten and it is a misunderstood command. We'll continue our study tomorrow evening as we continue talking about saving the church, saving our family, saving our soul, saving ourselves. We're trying to do what the Lord would have us to do.
There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins? Would you acknowledge your faith and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?